0: Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. For those that are taking notes, the title of my message today is Imitators. Imitators. Now, you may say, well, is that the title of a science fiction movie? No, not really. Am I trying to be demeaning in using the term imitators? No, not at all. It's based on an instruction that we're given from God's word to be imitators. What we want to do today is consider, we've kind of had some sermons in Ephesians, and and Daniel and I were talking about that um, funny thing and we double up on something, but we just, you know, it's, it's wonderful believing in the doctrines of grace and in the providence of God because you never make any mistakes with things like that. It is the intention of God to have a focus in a particular book. So, I stayed in Ephesians, but we're going to go to some other books. So, it was kind of a hybrid type of sermon. We're going to be in Ephesians, but we're also going to jump over and look at some some related texts that support uh, the message of Paul. So, Paul is addressing the Ephesian converts Uh, Some of these may be converted Jews. The majority of them, though, are probably Gentiles. Um, And they have been converted to Jesus Christ from their paganism. In chapter 4 and 5, Paul dedicates uh, this need to contrast what their former life was and what their life is to be now. It's a common teaching practice, right? Compare and contrast. We see that over and over again in all types of learning environments. And so Paul was very popular then as well. It's, it's, it's tried and true, right? works. So what he's trying to do is say, this is, this is what you were. This is, in a sense, what all of society is doing. And you were a part of that. But Jesus Christ saved you. You were born again, given new life. And you were brought into the kingdom of god's dear son jesus christ and you've been given a new identity in a new life a new self how about that for terminology a new self so what was it like living in ephesus well it was a very modern city It was founded by the greeks but of course when the romans uh conquered the greeks it became a roman city and uh, I, don't know, I don't know if you knew this, but one of the seventh wonders of the world was, in fact, at Ephesus. And that is the temple of Artemis. Uh, that's the Greek. The, your Bible may say Diana. That's the Roman name for that god. Romans weren't very creative when it came to gods. It just seemed to have taken Greek gods and renamed them all. Um, but point being that this was a, a center of life. It was a draw from the surrounding pagan world. People would come to that city to go to the temple of Diana, this, this, or temple of Artemis, this giant uh, edifice, this, this center of paganism. And like any kind of industry, there were sub-industries built around that. So if you have a temple of a famous god, of course, you'd have to have idol makers, right? You got to have some people who are going to make idols because what good is it going to an event without also visiting the gift shop on the way out? So these are all, this this does not originate with Disney. Don't, although I'm not a big Disney fan, don't hate Disney because of their gift shops. It's been going on for millennia. They're just copying a very workable, repeatable pattern. So There were people there that were making gods, selling gods, if we want to get, kind of let our minds wander, maybe even people who were making god pedestals out of wood or or marble or something. Maybe they didn't make the god, but they made an accoutrement that made your god just look better in your house. Point being, there's a whole money industry around paganism. Paganism is also supporting a very sensuous and sinful way of life. It's like building a religion around every uh, ailment of the human flesh and saying this is the way you worship. Now talk about not making somebody feel guilty. Just create a whole religion around all the the vices that human beings are capable of having and there you go. What is the draw of paganism? Well you just never feel bad about yourself. That sounds kind of familiar doesn't it? Hmm. A culture where there's, they, they seem like a single drive is to control speech, control behavior, so that no one ever has to feel bad about themselves. You see how things that are modern, that seem so clever, that seem so inventive, that seem so with it, are really just ancient thoughts. It's the same thing that's been rolling around for thousands of years. So what we see Paul preaching on thousands of years ago is very relevant today. It's relevant because the human heart is not any different. The sin nature is not any different. It's the same. Our buildings are different. We have different technology. We move around differently. But human beings are the same as the people that we read about in the Bible. They had the same fears, the same loves, the same weaknesses. The same things that inspired them inspire us. The same things that made them feel guilty, they wanted to cover up so they didn't feel guilty. We have these same things today. The same kinds of draw on their time they had then, we have now. The same kinds of diversions from the best things in life to those things that are fun and maybe societally necessary in order to get along. We all have these things we have to choose Time is something that we cannot manufacture. It goes by. So the gray and the whiskers didn't used to be there. Time marches on, and and that's the thing that is not renewable outside of Jesus Christ. Isn't that an interesting thought? The world worships youth, yet runs away from Christ, the only one that can give them eternal life. I want you to let that sink in real deep. If you're a young person here today, you listen to this very carefully. You're young now. I was young once too. I know that's hard to believe. Seems like I popped out old. But that's not true. (laughs) not true of your parents. I was young. I actually, if you saw a picture of me, you would laugh because it was the 70s. We'll forgive the 70s, it's a decade. They introduced a lot of terribly gauche and tacky things into this world. But what we want to do is understand something very fundamental about this city. This city was in the grip of darkness. Artemis, or Diana, was considered the goddess of the hunt, associated with children, childbirth, fertility, and purity. Purity. She was also thought of as the goddess of light, perhaps because her twin brother, Apollo, was the god of light. But the city was in deep darkness, and they liked it that way. Let's read in the scriptures, chapter 5, verse number 1. Therefore, be imitators of God, "...as beloved children, and walk in light as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness," it's referring to idolatry there, "...must not even be named among you as is proper among saints." Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience therefore do not associate with them for at one time you were darkness but now you are light in the lord walk as children of light for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the lord making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish and understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, In spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here's a city that's in the grips of idolatry, and God steps in. And in his grace... He first sends Apollos, a convert from Alexandria, who preaches the truth to them. I find it very interesting that Apollos is a believer preaching truth to those who believe that Apollo is the God of light. God is not without a sense of humor. And so he sends Apollos and preaches the real truth to them. And following that, later, Paul comes to Ephesus and begins preaching the truth of Jesus Christ and deliverance from the darkness of idolatry. What a contrast! Can you imagine what that must have sounded like in the ears of unbelievers who all they knew was the hypocrisy and the darkness of idolatry? I don't believe people that sin think that it's holy. I think they know that it's evil because God put a conscience in them. I knew because when I was living a hedonistic lifestyle as a young adult, I knew everything I was doing was wrong. Not because somebody preached at me, but because intrinsically the things I enjoyed were just evil. That's why the Bible says in verse number, um, pardon the glasses here, in verse number six, let no one deceive you with empty words. There's a great deception that perhaps one day we'll be able to stand before God and we'll be able to feign innocence before him. This is not true. God knows, he put a conscience in us, and he knows what kind of thoughts we have before we even know them. Hold your spot here in Ephesians and turn over very briefly to Galatians. Now, I'm going to have to ask an apology of Pastor Greg because he is working through Ephesians, but I promise I will be very uninformative here. We will wait for the full-body message on Galatians from Pastor Greg, we're just going to look at a few verses that show us what is this contrast here between light and darkness. So we see in Galatians chapter 5, let's look at verse 16, it begins reading about the works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit. So in verse number 16, it kind of introduces this idea of walking in the Spirit as opposed to walking in the flesh. It says, but I say walk by the Spirit... And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For the, these are opposed to each other. What the Bible is trying to say is there, you can't walk the fence line. Choose. You're going to be imitating one thing or another, but you're not imitating both. That's a deception. These are opposed to one another. You cannot, these cannot be reconciled in any way, shape, or form. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Remember what we talked about? We are not ignorant to these things. They are evident to the human conscience. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, no matter what their motives are. Fits of anger, revelries, dissensions. Divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, is Paul introducing a works-based salvation? No, he's simply saying this. If this is what your heart loves, you have not been made new through conversion in salvation to Jesus Christ. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. The new new person is in fact a new person. Doesn't mean they don't struggle with the indwelling sin, but it means that's not what they love. That's not what they crave. That's not their life pursuit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Meaning, if we are alive, we are now saved. We've been born again. If we are alive because of the converting activity of the Holy Spirit, then we ought to walk In the Holy Spirit. See the connection there? If I've been made alive by the Spirit of God, I'm no longer damned to hell because of my sins, but I've been redeemed. If that's taken place, why wouldn't I walk in the Spirit? If I've been given such a great salvation, why would I not purpose and and cooperate with the Holy Spirit that's living within me to live a holy life? That's what it's saying here. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. If you would, let's turn back, look at Ephesians chapter 4. We'll get back into Ephesians. I want to look at verses 17 through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. All right, what is this likeness? What is this thing we're to imitate that chapter 5 talks about, right? In true righteousness and holiness. What true righteousness? You mean the concept of my truth? The concept of what society says is righteous? No, God's word. What God's word says is righteous. On the day of judgment, we stand alone before God. We will not stand there with our culture or representatives of our people group and them explaining how, no, really, what they, the way they lived was righteous. All of that nonsense is washed away and the real, accurate, real thing will be seen. And that is the God who created you will one day judge you. Aren't you glad as a believer that that judgment has been consumed by the passion of Jesus Christ? And we are righteous, not because of our own works, but freely given to us. By a gracious God who loves us. That is so huge. Major point number one we are all imitating a manner of life. Everyone in this room is an imitator, everyone. Say, so, uh, George, you obviously don't know that God has gifted me with special insight and special creative gifts. I see things way before they happen. As a matter of fact, on the Internet, I am known as an influencer. Well, I'm not. So let me tell you what I did this morning when I got up. I went into a I slept on a bed that the department store said I can buy. I got up, I went and I used products to get dressed, take a shower, get dressed that that this system says are available to me. You may use these. I then went into my closet, got a lot of clothes, but every single thing in there was, was made available for me to buy by those that are the keepers of the things. And I... Now know, some of you might think, uh, I think he's talking about those back in the 70s. I know, no, don't judge me on my fashion. The point is, we all have what we can buy according to others that tell us what to buy. We're all imitators. If you think that you're unique, that your thoughts of how to dress, of how to carry yourself are all unique to your own brain, you're just simply wrong. We're imitating what we see others do. We're imitating what others tell us we should be like. Now, there's different people saying you ought to be like different things. I grant you that. But it's not original. We're imitators. I imitated all the people that sold these clothes, and I imitated it. I just put it on. My belt doesn't even really properly match my shoes. It's slightly off brown. So they tell me. I think they would be very disappointed in my imitation. We all don't imitate perfectly, do we? We make little adjustments or some things aren't as important to us. And in that, we think we're being original. We're just imitators. Here's another question to think about. Paul is talking to a pagan people in a pagan city that grew up pagans. All they knew was that kind of life. And he's telling them that old self, that idolatrous, sensual old self, you've got to put that off. And he uses a, he uses a terminology that likens it to taking off an old, worn out garment. Think about it that way. So, how can you take off yourself? Think about it more like a garment. You're taking off this old tattered garment. You're laying it aside and you're putting on this beautiful set of new clothes. Ephesians 4.24 says, Put on the new self created after the likeness of God. Righteousness and holiness. simple question. Who do you in your heart of hearts want to imitate? It's not a trick question. It's not. I'm not talking about how perfectly you do it. Okay, I'm not talking about that because we're all hypocrites. We all don't perfectly do the right thing. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying in here, what really drives you, where are you driven to? Are you driven to imitate the world in all its sensuality, in all its ugliness, in all of its anger, in all of its rage? Or are you driven to be like Christ in true righteousness as God defines right right behavior and holiness in the way that you live out your life? Only you know that. Nobody can look at you and know that. Only you really know that. Now, there's a sobering thought here. The sobering thought is that when we're born again, this is something God does for us. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, right? Justification means when God saves me, I I had no work or power to go get it or to keep it. This is an act of God. He does in me. I am saved. Once a person is born again, they are born again for good. And the Bible even says that Because the Holy Spirit now lives within us, that is his seal on us, that we are his. So there's not losing salvation here we're talking about. We're talking about the other thing, sanctification. That is that work that God has ordained is in us as a desire. It's empowered through us, through the Holy Spirit. But he also requires that we work. And that we do it every day when we get up. When you're tempted to lose your temper, it's in there, right? Someone's saying something, it's coming to the top. You're getting You're formulating your response. And then something in you says, don't do that. You say, well, that's the good part of me. <laughs> now it's the Holy Spirit working with our conscience saying, that's wrong. Don't do it you ever had that sense and you did the wrong anyway so have I I feel terrible when I was lost I didn't really feel terrible serve me up some more there's a difference because when you're a believer God dwells in you through the spirit of Christ the old self grieves second major point why does God want us to imitate him? Because the old self grieves the Holy Spirit that's within us. It makes our life measurably worse. You cannot walk the line. You cannot be on the line and say, I want to be just like the world, but redeemed. It's impossible. The text just told us this is not possible because they're at war with one another. The old self is at war with the new self. The old self wants to stomp the new self and the new self says, I will not tolerate this. This must be gotten out through the process of sanctification. You are now child of God. You're headed for heaven. This is going to be rooted out of you. And it is a process. Let's look at uh, chapter 4, verse 30 and see what it says. Chapter 4, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So this person, the Holy Spirit, you may notice in the Bible, it also will refer to as the Spirit of Christ, is also used that way. They're synonymous By the power of the Holy Spirit who redeemed us, who saved us, who did that spiritual work we could not do. He is abiding in us and it grieves the Holy God when we sin. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Why wouldn't God just make me holy now? That's a great question. I really don't know. I really don't. Maybe he wanted us to be able to have an understanding of sinners so that we would have compassion on the lost, so that we wouldn't lose our ability to understand who they are and what their greatest need is. Perhaps it was because of Christ should have the preeminence in salvation. And that we would be reminded of that until we see him face to face. And that is the pervading sin nature that we struggle against. I, I really, these are all hypotheses. I don't really have an answer. I, if you found one in the Bible, please come up to me and tell me after church because I'd love to know. We just know this that once you're saved, you have been converted and changed to a new person. You cannot be unchanged. You didn't change yourself into that new person. God did. And God's already told us, I'm not changing you back. That's a peaceful thing to know, isn't it? But he's also laid down a lot of other texts in the scripture that says, if I did change you, I put the Holy Spirit in you, and you are going to feel a sense of grief and heaviness when you sin." So, don't do it. Don't live like the old life because you're not that person anymore. Live like Christ. Imitate God. Imitate his behavior. Imitate his sense of values. So, look at chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. I'll go back and just take a peek at that. Therefore, do not associate with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now, the Bible is not saying that we're to completely disassociate ourselves with the lost. How would we share the gospel with the lost if we didn't know any lost people? It's not what it's saying. What it's saying is it is very difficult for you to have extremely close associations on a habitual basis and it not affect you. I'm not saying it makes you unconverted or... I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it adds difficulty. I think God has given me friendships with people for the opportunity to witness to them, but they've been relatively short experiences with the exception of one. A man I knew for many years, ten years in fact, um, and. I, God put me in his life and I witnessed him faithfully. He was a work friend and he got cancer. To my knowledge, he never repented and put his faith in Jesus Christ. But I know God had purpose in that friendship. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 8. Galatians 6, 8 says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap life eternal. Turn to Romans, hold your spot in Ephesians, and turn to Romans chapter 7. Bookmark chapter 7. You've got to read this whole chapter. For the sake of time, we can't do it this morning. I wish I had like three hours to preach. Like we were all in a countryside and and it would take you hours to walk back to your home. So you were just kind of stuck there, you know. But that's just not the modern world. We don't actually do that. People can actually just get in the car and leave. So we have to have some time constraints to be reasonable about these kinds of meetings. So look, I'm joking. So turn to Romans chapter 7. Look at verses 26 through 29. Okay, and I've gotten myself off course here, because there actually is no 26. So turn to Romans chapter 8. apologize. Slip of the chapter there. When you're reading the Bible on your phone and you're scrolling, I think that's probably what happened to me there. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Among many brothers. This, as I said before, I don't know why, but I know it is ordained by God that we live in this situation for sanctification, that this is a struggle. He's given us the tools, He's given us the Holy Spirit, He's given us the church, He's given us people who love us and will will mentor us in the faith, right? He's given us these things teachers. We've got a new teaching season come up. God has given the church pastors and deacons and teachers and evangelists he's given this he's given us all the tools that we need but he wants us to engage in the struggle he wants us to obey and to do these things the good news is this it's not about winning keeping the love of god god loves us there's no changing that It is about the glorification of God in our life. It's being a living epistle. God wants you to be a living epistle with your life. He wants to use you. You cannot be an effective teacher or deacon or pastor or mentor if you're living a wicked, sinful life. You can't. If you're imitating the world, how can you mentor someone to imitate Christ? Do you see the obvious dead end to that? It's not possible. So what does God want me to do? Stop imitating the world. Stop trying to say, well, I'm not really fully imitate." Stop walking the fence. Get off the fence. Whose love and admiration and approval do we really crave at the end of the day? And I know it's easy to brush this stuff off like, hey, you're just old and unfashionable. You don't really get it. No, believe it or not, I actually was 18 at one point in my life. I actually was 16. I actually was 21, 25. I went through the whole thing. That's how you get to here with the gray whiskers. You got to go through all that. And in our day, we had our own set of what was approved, accepted by those that would set all the imitators up for their purchases. And how we would look and how we would talk. It was a whole set of that. It's different now, but it was really the same. And I rejected that. I did not want to be a Christian. At a certain point in my life, I said, enough is enough. Tired of walking the fence? I'm getting off the fence and I'm going to live the way I really in my heart of hearts want to live. And that's live like a hedonist. That was very popular in the 70s. You got a good pat on the back if you lived a hedonistic lifestyle in the 70s. For goodness sakes, they were on TV making and laughing and approving of drug use on a regular basis. The 70s was very hedonistic era, as is every era. Had long hair, just like all the rock stars, because that's what the girls wanted to see, rock star hair. I don't think I'd be able to pull that off today. But you know, something happened to me. God, the the course of that life, that sin so eroded and degraded me as a person that at some point I hit rock bottom. And I, I thought, I can't be this anymore. I'm going to go back to church. And I started going to church with a different ear. It wasn't going to church to please parents or to please some social group. I was going to church because I needed to hear the truth. I believe the Holy Spirit was already working in the process of converting me. And when I heard that sermon, it was with new ears. I'd heard the gospel dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times. Because I have Christian parents. But this time I heard it with ears that could hear. I repented and I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I became a new person. I didn't want to be like I was. I didn't want to look like I looked. I didn't want to act like I like. So you said, well, were you in some, like some religious euphoria? Yeah. In some respects, I guess you could describe it that way. I had a new identity in Christ, and I embraced it. I wish I could say I embraced it perfectly, but I didn't. But I want to tell you something. Going to church, knowing the answers, doesn't make you a convert to Jesus Christ. Being converted in your soul and having a heart that wants to live like Christ. That's a good indication that you're a believer. Not your perfection. Your desire to want to imitate the living God through Jesus Christ. What's your real desire today? That's the command that we have. That's the third major point. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love. Not the love the world has, which is, which is... They call it love, but it's really sensuality. It's very selfish. It is not a servant-oriented sense. It is a me, 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 me. Look at me. Pay attention to me. Give me what I want when I want it. And when you won't, I'm done with you. That's really the world's version of what love is. It's not love. That's called lust. And it is directly tied dovetailed to paganism that is the way the pagan world functioned that is not what Christ has called us to do and there are illustrations of that which we won't have time to go into but I encourage you read the rest of chapter 5 as it describes what real love looks like in a marriage what real love looks like in the way you raise your children and the way children are supposed to engage their parents What real love looks like if you have people working for you. Now, it's geared to slaves that actually lived inside people's homes at the time. But you could also extrapolate that out to understand a a working situation. I don't think that would do too much damage. Be imitators of God. This cannot be separated from sacrifice, it's impossible. It's why I'm hitting the nail so hard about walking the fence. Saying to yourself, I am a Christian, but you live like the world and you want to be seen as a member of this world's system in the most intimate way. You don't want anyone to think you're some kooky Bible nut. You don't want people to think you're some weirdo Christian. I'm not trying to be mean or caustic in my preaching. I'm just trying to say, guys, we have to be honest with ourselves about our real deep, dark heart desires. Guess what's at stake? Our very souls may be at stake if we're not truly in Christ. I say this because I have children that grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a Christian home. I had a profession of faith when I was six. I was baptized. I was lost, completely lost and without Christ. How did you know? I loved living like the devil. That's why. I loved it. I craved it. I pursued it. I enjoyed it. And I hung around with everyone who did the same thing. That is not what the scriptures we've just read, that's not what they tell us we see in the life of someone who's been converted. This is not about justification. This is about sanctification. But in the process Paul is trying to teach believers about sanctification. He's also trying to teach the lost. This plan won't work for you. You don't have the Holy Spirit abiding in you. You do not have the hand of God's blessing on you. You do not have the insight that God is giving to his children every day. It won't work for you. You can't turn over a new leaf. Your greatest need may be you just need to admit who you are. That you're lost outside of Christ. And that you need to repent of your sin and be converted today. Ask for the mercies of God on your life. Your parents can't save you. Your church can't save you in terms of you're just being a part of it. Only God can save you. Only God can give you the new birth as Jesus described to Nicodemus. It's a new person that's created. I can't emphasize this enough. Do you see why it can't be walking the fence? If you want to walk the fence, that's a very dangerous mindset to be in. Because when you're created spiritually into a new person in Christ, he changes desires you have in your heart. It doesn't mean that you don't sin. It just simply means that's not, you're broken over that and you want to be like Jesus. You want to be like Christ. I know the difference. I lived a hedonistic lifestyle and I became a believer. You may not have that kind of stark difference in your life as your testimony. I do. There's a big difference between the two. Big difference. I think most people know that in their heart of hearts. I do. Whose characteristics are you imitating today? Whose characteristics are you imitating today? Do you want to imitate the characteristics of the lost world, or do you want to imitate the characteristics of God clarified clearly in His Word? It's a binary question this or that. I can't answer that question for you, I don't know your soul. I don't know your... I can't see into your mind or in your heart. But you can, and so does God. And what the the apostle is trying to say is, although I can't see into your soul, these are the characteristics of things that mark a believer, and these are the characteristics of things that mark a lost person. So if we're starting on the path of sanctification, that's a message to believers, already been justified you got to make sure this thing of justification has taken place. you got to make sure you're truly born again. The sad reality is, if you're not born again, you probably are not that interested in sanctification. You may be thinking about the sermon going, eh, heard it, seen it, done it. That was my attitude. I heard this stuff so many times. It just went... bounced right off my forehead. I didn't even have any emotion about it anymore. I didn't even get mad about it anymore. Just total indifference. That's a damnable state to be in. Complete indifference to my spiritual condition and where I would end up should I die. Complete indifference. Whatever. Here's a couple of things that Paul says. and We're going to close with this. Paul says, this is in verses 8 through 10. We've read that, so I'm not going to reread it. But I want you to think about these things. Paul says to them, you were in darkness. Now you're in the light. Walk as children of the light. And then he clarifies what the fruit of the light is. Why would Paul do that? I think it's a cool contrast to the fact that that. Artemis or Diana was known as a goddess of light. He's already identified this life that Diana or Artemis, whichever name Greek or, he, or Roman you want to use, is identified as this pure God, this God associated with those things that are pure with animals and nature. And Paul redefines that. He says No. That's the way they'd like to see themselves, but the reality is they're in darkness, they're debauched, they're sensual, they're furious, they're angry. All these things are actually the real truth of this life of idol worship. And he says, but he's speaking to the Ephesian Christians at this point. He says, you are in the light, walk as children of the light. And then he says, here's the fruit, good, right, and true. Like George, I told you read so many scriptures and so many do's and don'ts, How do I remember that all. Do what's good, do what's right, and do what's true. And friends, there's not a thousand different versions of the truth. There's one. It's right here. You know what your truth is, if you've adopted that from your culture? A damnable deception. Your truth, think about this. A created being in a universe so vast, it can't even be seen with the human eye or even with the technology we have. You're going to stand before the God that created that one day and say, Look, I know you have your set of truths, but I live my life by my own set of truths. Does that sound rational or reasonable to you? Or does that sound completely insane? We will stand before God. God does exist. We will be answerable to him one day. I'm thankful that in his mercy, he had mercy on me when I was his enemy. And he saved me. I did not have a good thought. I was not a good person. I did not do good things. I was a horrible person. And in the midst of that, he had pity on me and saved me. The good news is this. God will save you too. Paul was a murderer. He persecuted the church. And God converted him and turned him into a new person. He can do that for you too. You are not beyond the grace of God. You are not outside the power of the God that created this universe to turn you from darkness into a child of light. Have hope today, friend. Second thing I want to tell you is, is repeat or or point out that Paul is saying is take no further part in the unfruitful works of darkness we see this in verses 11 through 14 he says stop walking the fence stop indulging yourself in things that were destructive to your life but felt good in the moment stop doing that he says, instead, expose them as the shameful things that they are. Shine the love of Christ on them. Shine the love of Christ on them. I'm sorry, that piece is, that, those scriptures are in verses 15 through, no, that's right, that's 11 through 14. Now, this is the challenge of sanctification, of the process of Sanctification. It is that we have held on to some sinful things or we let go of them, but then we picked them back up. At one point, I was 30 pounds lighter than I am today. George, how is that possible? I ate too much and didn't exercise. I picked up bad habits again, held on to them, loved them. Cheese, popcorn, and ice cream. I I mean... These are hard things to give up. I'm trying to be a little light here because I want to point out, I'm not saying that this what God's called us to in sanctification is easy. It is horribly difficult. But the good news is this, that we can see sanctification in the lives of other Christians in the room, how they've gotten victory over things. And we can see how God has already given us victory over other things that we're no longer tempted for. There's a lot of things in life I used to be tempted to do. I'm not tempted by those things anymore. It's not me. It's the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit making me into this person that God has saved me to be. Don't be discouraged, but also don't give yourself a pass don't say, well, you know, I, I'm doing these things, this, this, this sensuality and this, this stuff, it's really immoral. But, you know, i saved by grace and, and I can't go to hell because of that. Think about it. Is that really something that the Bible says is the way to look at it? That is not the right understanding of sanctification. That is actually a very sinful and depraved way to see Sanctification. Sanctification is the, is the work of God in you and you cooperating with the Holy Spirit that's in you to put to death destructive things in your life and to become more like Jesus Christ, to become more like God. You're imitating him in all of his ways. It's a life pursuit. Guess what? When we get to heaven and we, that sin nature is completely shed, God's given us a head start to work on that, hasn't he? You get to working on this now because when you get to heaven, that's the normal state of being. You won't, be feel, you won't feel like a hypocrite or a failure because I will have completed my perfection in you. But I want you to struggle now. And I don't know the answers. I don't know why. I just know he does. But he has given us the gifts that we need. Be careful. Be careful. Understand priorities in light of God's will. Use your time on the best things. We see this in verses 15 through 21. What does that mean as it relates to sanctification? You have a million things you can do with your time. The writer of Hebrews says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Don't do that. You know, half the battle is just showing up. Think what happens when you don't show up. We often think about the thing that we exchange. We say, well, I got to go do this. This is important. Yeah, but is it the best choice for your life? I'm not standing to be in judgment. I'm simply saying this. Sanctification is not something I do to you. It's not done from this pulpit other than the word of God being preached to you. It's done by the the spirit of God and your cooperation in, in being an obedient child of God. Walking in the light. This question is for you. It's not an accusation. It's a question to you. Are you making the best choices? I can't answer that question. No other person can. That's between you and the Lord. That's why it says there's your urge. Do your best to understand the will of God in your life. We find that in God's word. Being in God's word. Committing ourselves to prayer. And finally be controlled by the Holy Spirit. That is the essence of sanctification. Is that in sanctification we are imitating god we have rejected an acceptability of walking in the old man and we intend with god's help every day to walk in the new man and that means we tangibly do things to make sure that happens let's bow our heads for prayer Lord, we love you. We're thankful that you saved us, rescued us from darkness, covered our sins with the precious blood of Jesus Christ through his death on the cross. And you have adopted us into your family as your children, as children of light. Thank you for rescuing rescuing us from the darkness. God, help us to cooperate each day in our walk of sanctification. Not our walk of justification that's been settled, but in our walk of sanctification. Lord, help us to imitate you. Help us to do it. Help that to be the most driving effort of our life that we would search the scriptures, that we might know who you are so we can imitate you. That we would pray to you daily. And commit our concerns our worries our fears all the things that that can consume us that we commit those to you that we give thanks that we cultivate our relationships with other committed believers and lord most importantly that we do not continue to associate ourselves with the works of darkness with sinful things that this world is offering us god give us strength help us to be obedient children Give us the wisdom to know how to use the time that we have in the best possible way before you come again. I'm thankful that we have your word, and I'm thankful that you have a loving, patient approach with us. Help us to be the same towards one another. Help us to be loving, kind, patient mentors as we encourage one another in our faith.